Welcome to the Ask the Experts podcast. Here's Karen Bhatia. I am Karen Bhatia, and this is Ask the Experts. Got a great show for you today. We're going to start it off with the heavyweight, undefeated Polish-American Adam Kovnowski. He's fighting at Barclay Center. He's headlighting tomorrow night on Fox on Saturday, March 7th. He has the tough task of facing Robert Hellenus, who is a little older, but he's a tall opponent. Hellenus is. He's six foot six and a half, so he's going to have the height advantage. So we're going to talk to Adam Kovnowski about that fight. Uh, I'm going to talk to Adam about... He has dreams about being the first Polish fighter uh, to become heavyweight world champion. He was offered the Anthony Joshua fight last June. He turned it down. I'm going to ask him why he did that if becoming a heavyweight champion is his goal. I'm going to talk to him about how he would match up with Fury, how he would match up with Wilder. He's a big player in this heavyweight division. He's undefeated. He brings out crowds. So you're going to hear my sit-down conversation with Adam Kubnowski. And then we're going to look back at the heavyweight fight between Fury and Wilder, the rematch. It was epic, as we know, Tyson Fury defeating Deontay Wilder, this one against conventional wisdom. And a lot of people said Deontay Wilder didn't look like himself. And after the fight, a few excuses, you could say, came out. Wilder said uh, the refing was unfair uh, in terms of referee Kenny Bayless. The biggest excuse that seems to have had the most attention is that Wilder wore uh, an extensive costume or an outfit to honor Black History Month to the ring. And he said that that outfit was 40 to 45 pounds. Now, um, he said that his legs were worn down. And by the time he got in the ring, in his words, quote unquote, my legs were gone. Okay, so he is basically saying the outfit was part of the reason he wasn't able to perform at a top level. He said it was way too heavy. Now, that outfit cost $40,000, and I will be speaking to Cosmo Lambino and Donato Crowley. They're of Cosmo's Glam Squad. They are the costume designers, the image consultants who worked with Deontay Wilder to create that outfit. And I'm going to ask them, what was their reaction when they first heard Deontay Wilder was saying that was one of the reasons he lost for the first time in his career? And he also said it was too heavy than he realized. He didn't realize it was going to be that heavy. He didn't realize it was going to be uh, that long of a ring walk. So did he try it on before? What was going on? What were the details? How did the whole process come together? And are they going to work with him again? Uh, I'm going to talk to them about that. And if they do, are they going to make changes to the outfit? And then continuing to look back at the big heavyweight fight, Fury versus Wilder. I'm going to be talking to Eric Pollan. He was the producer for the documentary series that followed both Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder for four weeks. And that was called Inside Wilder Fury 2 that aired on both Fox and ESPN. I worked alongside uh, Eric Pollan. I was a producer of the Countdown show, previewing the fight he produced inside. Uh, And we're going to talk about the footage that he saw behind the scenes. What was the stuff coming in? Was there any vulnerabilities in terms of Deontay Wilder? Were we seeing anything in training? Um, Was was there any indication uh, the fight was going to play out the way it did? Of course, Tyson Fury knocking out Deontay Wilder in the seventh round. Eric Pollan was also there on fight night. He was part of the ring walk. So we're going to get his perspective uh, looking back on that epic night. But to start it off, like I said, he's undefeated. He's 20-0 with 15 knockouts. There's talks that if he wins this fight on Saturday, March 7th, he could fight Andy Ruiz next. 
and that would uh, maybe take his profile up from just a star who sells out the Barclays Center uh, to maybe a national star, a global star, and that is Adam Babyface Kovnaski. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Adam Babyface Kovnaski. I am Karambatia, and let's ask the experts. I'm Karambatia talking to Adam Kovnaski. Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So I want to talk to you about, you came from Poland when you were seven years old, came to Brooklyn. So forget the culture shock for a second, but it's, I wanted to talk to you about that immigrant mentality, right? And there's so much going on in terms of politics, and it seems like uh, immigrants get blamed for everything, right? And you come from Poland, you don't know the language, and what you've built now is a heavyweight contender uh, on the doorstep of getting a title shot. So what do you think about that, the hardworking uh, immigrant mentality and, and what you've been able to do with your Polish culture? Right, uh, I mean, coming here was, was uh, lucky. My parents got lucky. Uh, we uh, applied for the green card lottery and they met one. So they packed the bags, everything we had in Poland, and came here and uh, it was the right choice. To get, my parents took a risk to give me and my uh, brothers a better life, which, which we were proving to. I mean, I'm a top-ranked heavyweight fighter. My other brother is a state trooper, and my youngest brother is a in the construction business. So everybody's doing very well, and um, you know we're living the American dream. It's the American dream. You guys are you guys are striving. You guys are uh, doing big things. So let's talk a little bit about your nickname. Okay. So I, before I do, I want to read you some boxing nicknames. Okay. Ready? Bronze Bomber, Gypsy King, The Nightmare, Executioner. Dr. Iron Fist, Dr. Steelhammer. These are, these are tough, menacing names, right? And then we have Babyface. <laughs> Do you ever think about you know, uh, your nickname and maybe getting something a little bit more, a little bit more tough? <laughs> uh, maybe, eventually, because in the beginning it, was, it worked very well, because I came into the ring a little chubby with the you know, daddy bod. Everybody didn't take me serious. Plus, he had the nickname Babyface. So it was eh, easy fight, no problems. But now it's like the secret is out. So now, so now I have to get a tough nickname to uh, go along with my style. And so the secret's out, and we know that you've been doing great things in the heavyweight division, 20-0 undefeated. Uh, like I said, on the doorstep of that title shot and that title opportunity, you grew up watching Andrew Galata, right? That was, that was your, your hero. Six uh, Polish fighters have attempted to go for the world championship, the world heavyweight championship. And... Six times they've tried, six times they've failed. So what's going to be different about you and your, your attempt at, at becoming heavyweight champion? Lucky number seven, right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, the stars are lining up, so I just uh, feel uh, this year will be very big for me. And uh, I just got to capitalize on, on what I've been working so hard for for the past 15 years. And you're in, you, this fight coming up in March, March 7th, is in the Barclays Center. This is your 10th straight time. You're 9-0 in the Barclays Center, and I've been there during your fights. Uh, it's a sea of red, right? All your supporters and fans. So what is it going to take this time to get to 10-0 at Barclays Center? You're taking on Robert Hellenis, who's, he's, he's, they call him the Nordic Nightmare, right? He's six foot six and a half, so he's going to have the height advantage. What's it going to take to get to 10-0 and at Barclays Center? Uh, just hard work. I mean, I'm putting a lot of hard work in my trainer, uh, Keith Trimble and uh, Chris Carson. We've been working very hard, and uh, well, it's hard work, you know. It pays off, and it's gonna pay off March seventh. 
and we were thinking about who your next opponent would be. I'm sure you wanted it to be a title shot versus a Deontay Wilder or an Anthony Joshua. There was talks about Dominic Brazil. It ended up being Robert Hellenis, like we said. So Robert Hellenis came out, and, he, and I want to read this to you. He said, Kovnaski is about to feel the strength of Thor's hammer. So are you afraid of Thor's hammer? <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. I mean, it's talk. I mean, he's happy on the fight, and uh, it's definitely going to be a tough fight. I can't underestimate nobody because uh, he was a former European uh, champion. So uh, he definitely brings uh, a lot to the table. But uh, beating him uh, will be huge, you know? And uh, I look forward to doing that on March 7th. And we said he's, uh, Robert Hellenus has the height advantage, right? Six foot, six and a half. He's gonna have about three and a half inches on you. So are you bringing in tall sparring partners? Are you bringing in rangy people to practice fighting a taller opponent? Yeah, uh, right now we have a kid from Poland actually. Uh, his name is Damien. He's amateur, but he has a si size, same size, uh, similar style. So uh, we're getting ready. Uh, we're leaving no rocks unturned. And as I was saying, when they were discussing your opponent, the other person they talked about was Dominic Brazil. Now we know Brazil, he uh, had the loss to Deontay Wilder. But recently on social media, I'm sure you saw this, Brazil puts up a picture of a duck. He puts the caption, and I'm going to read this to you because I want to get your response. He said, now he, talking about you, wants to fight a washed up dude instead of giving the fans a heavyweight slugfest and fighting me. Go ahead and pad your record and stay safe. That's Dominic Brazil talking about you. So what's your response to Dominic Brazil? Uh, listen, we offered him the fight. He outpriced himself. He was looking to cash out on his career because he knew what was coming to him. So uh, talk is cheap. We made an offer, or I told my managers to try to get the fight. He uh, outpriced himself because he knew that would be his final payday. And uh, he decided to go a different route, you know, but it's not a padded record. Robert Hinellius is a tough opponent. And, uh, and it will be a slugfest because uh, Adam Kovnatsky is must-watch TV. And you're going to see that on uh, Fox come March 7th. And we know that you are a come-forward fighter. You're dangerous, uh, dangerous for any opponent. So what I wanted to ask you about was I know that your goals in this sport, you want to be heavyweight champion. And Anthony Joshua last year was supposed to take on Big Baby Miller. Big Baby Miller tested positive. They needed a replacement opponent. And they came to you and they offered you this fight with Anthony Joshua. So why didn't you take the fight with Joshua? Because that was your opportunity to become world champion. I don't think it was a real offer. It was just hearsay to have uh, the name clear that they offered the fight to me. I mean, there was no paperwork. I mean, it was also six weeks out. Um, I'm not, I don't feel like uh, in order for that kind of fight, I want to be prepared and not be treated like a sub-in. But uh, also I wasn't in shape, I just fought. I took some time off, I went back to uh, Poland to, do, to get some stuff, and uh, it just wasn't the right timing, you know? So it wasn't the right time for you, but Andy Ruiz stepped in. He had just fought 41 days before. So when you watched Andy Ruiz upset Anthony Joshua on June 1st, um, did you look at that and say, oh, that, that could have been me? No, it's hats off. I mean, he did a great job. Uh, he capitalized on the opportunity, and... Uh, and now he's, uh, he's going to the history books as a world champion, which is something I want to be. He's the first Mexican world champion. I want to be the first Polish-Mexican champion. So it's definitely uh, something uh, showed me that he could do it, you know, that especially somebody with a daddy bod could achieve. <laughs> right. And so no regrets at all when you look back at that situation? Of course not. I mean, uh, it's life. I think everything happens for a reason, and uh, it just wasn't my time yet. 
And so right now, when we look at the heavyweight landscape with Ruiz in it, it was kind of the four headed monster, right? Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz. Now, after Ruiz's last performance, we're back to the three headed monster. So with those champions that I that I mentioned, uh, Deontay Wilder, the WBC champ, Joshua has the other three belts, Fury, the lineal champ. Who do you want to get a crack at first so that you can become the first Polish uh, Polish American champion? And my goal is to be heavyweight champion. So uh, doesn't matter. I mean, obviously, uh, it's gonna be t- I hope it's the winner of Tyson Fury and uh, Wilder because I feel I rank them the highest right now because I feel uh, Joshua has something to prove after his fight, and then he didn't knock out Andy Ruiz in, in an expected fashion. I mean, he boxed for 12 rounds. He did a great job doing that, but I still he has a question mark next to his name. So I definitely want to fight the best, which I think is going to be the winner of Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And how would you match up against Deontay Wilder? We know he has the big right hand. We call it the great eraser. If you watch his previous fights, he's not doing much, and then boom, lands the right hand. So how would you match up against Deontay Wilder stylistically? I think it will be... Uh, of, you know, of something fans would truly enjoy watching because will I be able to put the pressure on him and stop him, or will he be able to uh, hit me with the right hand and will I be able to take it? I mean, in the past, I should have, have a good chin, and I can take one on the button, and I don't go nowhere, I keep coming forward. So it'll be a real, uh, we'll see what, what happens when he hits me with the right hand. And the other side of the coin is Tyson Fury. We know that that rematch is, is going to happen. So how would you match up against Fury? He's obviously got the movement. He, he runs around the ring. He's a big guy, but, but he can move. But you're a big guy, and you can move too. So how would you match up against Tyson Fury? Yeah, we got I also come forward. Obviously, he's, he's a little better boxer than uh, Wilder, a better, better mover. So but we'll good matchup, I feel. I feel uh, Otto Wilder proved his last fight with him that uh, he, he, he'll be hurt. And uh, I'm looking to just capitalize on what Otto did. And we talked about Anthony Joshua. Obviously, everyone saw the vulnerabilities there with the chin uh, the first time around against Ruiz. But he made the adjustments. He's become more technical. So the game plan against Anthony Joshua, if you were able to get that fight, would be what? Uh, something did what uh, Mike, I mean, Andy Ruiz did on, uh, of, during his fight. I mean, just walk him down and uh, cut the ring, which I don't think he did in the rematch. I think if he cut the ring on the rematch and... Uh, let his hands go, he could have knocked him out again. And your last fight uh, against Chris Ariola, a lot of people were thinking that you were going to knock this guy out. He was kind of at the tail end of his career, but it ended up being Rock'em Sock'em Robots, right? And it actually set records, CompuBox records, of punches landed and thrown in heavyweight fighting. So what was that experience like? You probably thought you were going to be able to stop him, and now you're in a war with a guy and throwing and landing uh, record, number of, record number of punches, both of you guys are. So what was that last fight like with Chris Ariola? It was fun. <laughs> it was a fun matchup. Uh, I knew that coming into the fight, and then uh, he had that extra motivation of if he lost, he would hang up his gloves. But a performance like that, I don't know if he's going to do it. I mean, I haven't heard anything on his news lately, but uh, I guess he left everything uh, he had during that fight, and uh, it showed. So uh, it was a great fight for the fans, and I think everybody enjoyed it. It was a great fight for the fans, and that fight was in August, and you had another big life moment in August, right? Your, your son was born. Yes, sir. So what, what has it been like being a father? It's the greatest feeling in the world. Every time I'm down, not feeling the mood, I just uh, think about uh, looking at him and him smiling and just makes your whole day that much better. And so just to close it out, you came here as an immigrant from Poland when you were seven years old. You couldn't speak English. You said you were bullied. 
And now you're on the doorstep of challenging for the heavyweight championship of the world. So when you look back at everything that, that you've achieved, do you, do you take pride in what you've achieved? And, and is it the, uh, the American dream? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm living proof, right? If you put your mind to it, America gives you the opportunity to uh, accomplish whatever you, you plan on doing. And uh, there's no better country in the world. Well, Adam Kovnowski, best of luck to you. You have a big task ahead with Robert Hellenis on Fox March 7th. And then hopefully we can see you in a title fight sometime soon. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you for having me. That was Adam Babyface Kovnowski, 20-0, 15 knockouts. He is headlining at Barclay Center on Fox on Saturday, March 7th. He has the tough task of Robert Hellenis, who is a tall fighter, six foot six and a half. That will be a test, and it seems that most likely the mega fight between Kovnowski and Andy Ruiz could hang in the balance. So a lot on the line there for uh, Adam Kovnowski to perform, perform at a high level, and then to get that big opportunity against Andy Ruiz, which would be a huge fight. So now we turn our attention to looking back to Wilder Fury 2. It was an epic fight, an epic night. Fury winning by knockout. And we said that Wilder came out with some excuses after. He said his costume that he wore to the ring was too heavy. That was one of the reasons that contributed to his loss. So I will be speaking to Cosmo's Glam Squad. They are the creators of the suit. What do they think about those comments? What did they, What was the process like? Will they work with Deontay Wilder again? And the one thing I should mention is that there's actually a lot more to the outfit. There was more that didn't end up happening. Uh, they, had, they had worked on extras uh, and, and there was other parts of it. So we're going to find out exactly what was supposed to happen with the so here is my conversation with Cosmo Lambino and Donato Crowley of Cosmo's Glam Squad, the creators of Deontay Wilder's Ringwalk outfit. I am Karen Batia. I am joined by Cosmo's Glam Squad's Donato Crowley and Cosmo Lambino. So thank you guys so much for joining me. And my show, we probably have a lot of boxing fans who may not be familiar uh, with what you guys do. So could you just introduce yourself, your, yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. Yeah, so I have a clothing store in Melrose. I've been in the clothing store for like, uh, I've been on Melrose for 30 years. <laughs> and I've had this clothing store uh, for like 11 years. And it's called Cosmos Glam Squad. And we are like image consultants. We create images for rappers, singers, um, all the upcoming artists. And we've worked with artists like NSYNC and, you know, from back in the day and all the way up to um, now the fight world, the sports world, you know, that actually are performers and they want to look like rappers and they want to look like artists, you know, and Deontay is uh, one of them. So it was a big opportunity. Deontay's wife came in the store, Telly, she's absolutely beautiful. And she was shopping and she says, in passing, my, uh, my fiance Deontay is a fighter and he wears a mask. So me and Deonato were like, hmm. By the way, I'm Donato Crowley. I'm his partner as well. We have a, a label called Cosmo and Donato together. Yeah, it's called so. CD. Yeah, yes. CD. Yes. So. so anyway, in passing, as she goes, you want you want to see the outfit? So we looked at the outfit and we're like, she goes, you think you, you guys could do something like that? And I'm like, 
I looked at some, I don't know, like, because the mask was really cool, but it kind of looked like kind of this party city. Yeah, mask. it was like a mask. We had some like spikes in it and it was cool. Yeah. And like, if you've ever seen, I mean, if you've ever seen, everybody's seen what we've done now, like we do really over the top pieces and we create them all ourselves, handcrafted. Like this, oh, most, most all of, I think every one of Deontay's costumes was leather and studs. Yeah. And like hand sewn, hand created. Yeah. We have an entire team that does it. Yeah. This particular costume. We actually have been making these masks for Burning Man. You know, people come okay. from all over the world, you know, and they're like specialty. My store is very specialty, one of a kind. You know, it's like an art museum meets Studio 54. It's, it's, <laughs> it's an experience. But um, so anyway, she says, you think you guys could do something for my man? And then we're like, oh, can we? <laughs> and I showed a little bit of how we get down. Yeah. And before you know it, we're making Deontay his outfit. And what fight was that? Um, that was Brazil. First one. Brazil. Okay, was, Fury was the first one, then Brazil. Yes. Yeah, then Ortiz and then Fury. And that was like the month of the last episode of Game of Thrones. So we were hey. really inspired. Yeah. Because Deontay, when we met him, he's like a supermodel. He's like absolutely gorgeous, you know. And he, um, he, uh. He wanted to be this like war god, this war warlord, this warlord, you know. And we're like, oh my god, we have to create something so epic for him. So that's when we made the first outfit. And that was and actually he on that outfit, he really had just seen a moto piece that we had done that was all crystallized. It was like right. a moto, and he put it on. He goes, oh, this is what I want to wear for my ring walk. And we're like, it's great, but let us add to it. You yeah, know, let's add a little weight to it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Too soon, right? <laughs> well, well, that's 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 what I wanted to ask you about. So obviously, Dante has looked great on these ring walks recently. Uh, you could totally see the Game of Thrones. You could see the the excellence, um, the the work that went into it. And he fought Tyson Fury last Saturday. He ends up losing, and then he came out with some excuses. And he said part of the reason he didn't perform well is because. His suit weighed him down early in the fight and his legs were gone. So I'm just curious, when you guys first heard that excuse from Deontay Wilder, what was going through your head? It was kind of a shock, honestly. And it was kind of very, like, it was, like, heart-wrenching. Like, oh, my God. It didn't sound like Deontay to me. It didn't I, sound I like, like Deontay. Not, that doesn't sound like You know, because I know that Deontay would never throw us under the bus because I know he absolutely loved the outfit and the fitting, you know? And it didn't sound like it really came from Deontay. So we didn't believe it, but we were on pins and needles all day because we were trying to call Deontay, but actually he was busy recovering. So well, that night before we went to bed, we got FaceTime and it was, it was Deontay. And it was like, guys, I, you know, things get twisted in the media. I love you guys so much. You guys are family, you know, and we love Deontay. You know, we got to know him and his wife and his kids and, you know, we got really close like family, you know? So um, it was so reassuring to hear him you know, FaceTime, like you and I right now, saying, I love you guys, and just get ready for the other fight. I'm taking you guys to the top with me, and get ready for the um, the, the next fight with Fury. But he did acknowledge the weight of the costume. You know, he did acknowledge that, and we actually listened to him in that, and we're like, you know, listen, going forward, we know that we need to make adjustments in that, because, you know, he had to wear that costume for a lot longer than anticipated during that ring walk. Normally, it's a five-minute ring walk. For, for that, it's not a problem, but... Um, because of the way the timing went in the back. But he was in it a while before. Right. So I could see the weight, you know what I mean? Maybe, um, you know, maybe contributing to it. I understand, you know? But he clarified everything with us. And um, 
next time we're going to make the outfit in Scott's issue. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that, that's probably a smart plan. So d when he says 40 to 45 pounds, do you think that's accurate? And and why does it weigh that, that much? He said he mentioned batteries because obviously he had the lights in the eyes. Um, is, yeah, well, is that how much it weighed and why does it weigh that much? That's something that's really interesting. So it, it we didn't actually weigh it though. You know, I wish he was here with us right now because I would just like drop it on a scale right now. Yeah. But we didn't actually weigh it. So basically it's the same components as the other outfits, basically all made in leather, all crystals, but the wiring did add a little weight and the battery packs did add some weight. So I could see it being, yeah, I so those battery packs also weren't just for LED lights. They weren't just for the lighting like that. What they didn't get to see, somebody at the arena dropped the ball. Really? And when we had asked for, we were very clear and went over it many times. We said, no fog machines, no lasers. So they had fog machines there. Um, we asked for a blackout right at the end of the song so that he could have a moment. And with the, with the whole the stadium. Blackout, the whole stadium comes through yeah. and the lasers go on. There were lasers coming out of the crown that would have touched the ceiling in the stadium. So you guys didn't see and the full lasers effect. coming out of his arm pieces here. So had you seen like what really was like that moment was incredibly iconic. And that's where the extra weight was from, was from these lasers and battery packs. But like, you know, but you guys didn't get to see that because they dropped the ball in the end. The fog machines just went straight in the air. They went in the air. They didn't even gather. Fog. So it would have been even more of a moment, but you know, the, you know, the good thing is that the, the costumes did look amazing and him walking out. But you guys, the sad thing is that you guys didn't get the full effect. There was much more. No, it it absolutely looked unbelievable. It's, it was Thank one of the best outfits I've ever seen in a ring walk. And I've been covering boxing for a long time. So he said that the first time he tried it on was 15 or 20 minutes before the fight. Had he tried it on in your store? Had he seen it before? Or was that the first no, time? He, he actually, he stated, he, I, I've seen um, articles where he actually stated that he actually did have a fitting the day before. So okay. I, I don't, I'm not sure where you're getting your information, but he did state that he did do a fitting the day before. And then uh, again, he had to wear it right before the fight, obviously. So, yeah. But listen, I, I do want to talk about that moment, like that <laughs> ring walk moment. I think it's really important to mention the gravity and the iconicness of that ring walk yes you know like with the whole black history month and walking in front in front of every one of those those figures that have represented the fight for black equality you know um and th to have him walk in this costume and this like it is considered the best ring walk moment in history at this moment you know and and it's unfortunate that that he lost and we'll make sure that whatever we have to do to adjust ourselves going forward for the next one that it's we're going to make sure that he wins you know because but i do want to talk about that moment because it was incredible it was incredible well, the outfit wins was well that was that was my next question so he came to you and he said i want to do something special for black history because in the past We've seen the, the gold mask and the nice gold um, outfits. This was different. So what was the significance for Black History Month that, that was his vision? And how did you guys bring it to reality? Well, actually, you know, he trusts us with what we come up with because of the last two, uh, three outfits that we made him. So basically, you know, um, all black. He wanted all he, black. He, on this. Yeah, he wanted all black, of course, for solid black, black history month, yeah. you know. So we went over we went over it with him, you know, but when we presented the outfit to him, it was a complete like aha moment. Like, you know, Deontay lit up, you yeah. know, and he loves like it was like a kid in the candy store, you know, and he really loves
you know, wearing this costume. And we didn't know? tell we didn't tell them about the lasers or the lights yet. We we're just like, oh, so what do you think of the costume? And they're like, they went crazy over it. And they were like, but there's a little bit more to it. So we said, hit the lights, and, and then we showed him we the had show. a remote control, and then the the uh, um, the, uh, the um, neon lights came the out. Uh, the laser, I'm sorry, the lasers came out of the outfit, and we like, we were just all floored and blown away. You know, yeah. we were so happy that everything. You know, it's pretty cool if you get to see the video of it. Yeah. Like it's 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 like wow, like it's it's impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but that is where the extra weight came from for sure. You know the. No, that makes sense. Did you watch the fight? And what were your what were your thoughts as you were watching the fight itself? I was mortified. I was mortified. I was mortified. I never thought that he was going to lose. You know, you always think that, you know, he's going to win, you know, with that winning streak. So watching the fight was heart wrenching, you know, and from the first round. You know, and I just had a bad vibe and I just like, and then it just kind of got worse and worse and worse. And I, you know, I couldn't like even look, you know, it was just, it was really devastating. So it was heartbreaking for like everybody. For me, for, you know, for me, I, when I was watching it, I was like, that's not Deontay. I, honestly, I was like that. I've never seen Deontay look like that ever in my, in, I mean, he's such, something was up. You know what I mean? Something was up with him because that's not Deontay. He is one of the strongest and, you know, he's a king. He's an icon. Like, and you know, confident. And, and you confident. know, every fight that we, we you know, we we, we, um, we dressed him for, he always had this confident and everything was like light. Right. You know, it was just really light. And he was just like, you know, happy, you know, just to get in there and get it done. But, you know, and this fight, there was, there was different vibes, you know, and it didn't look like him at all. You know, and um, and a loss for him is a loss for us, too, because, you know, we're, we, we always knew that going into this, that you can't walk into the ring like that. And if you lose, it's going to be a heavy hit for him. It's going to be a heavy hit for, you know, what we did as well, you know. And so we represent um, Deontay, we represent his vision. We're going to continue to do that as we go forward and we're going to make some adjustments and the world is going to be excited to see what we do next. And do you think now that we've had a couple days since the fight and we've had some time to digest everything that happened, do you think it, the reason he wasn't himself was just because of the suit? Do you think there was other things going on? What, what, if you had to just take a guess at the overall reasoning, why he wasn't able to perform at his top level? I think you'll have to ask Deontay that question. You know, I really do because I mean, we just tell you what we saw there and what we saw, you know, um, was that he he looked great, you know? But we did see an, an, an energy thing with him was a little bit different. It was a different you know? energy this time for sure. But this was a lot on the line, so I get that. You know, there was an intensity, there was intensity and a and a a, um, a direction in his walk in the dressing room, and like, but we knew that this is like this is that moment that he was going to surpass Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Know? So and there was a big there was a, big, there was a big expectation involved, you and know, and I know there was a lot of pressure because. I felt it. You could cut it with a knife. You and know? then also representing all those black icons as you're walking by each and every one of them. There was a there was a lot of weight on this fight, you know. So, but we're definitely team Don Deontay. You know, we are team Deontay, and you know he is a great guy. You know, and you really can't win them all. You know, and um, as far as I'm concerned, you know he uh, he won 40 fights. You know, right. this guy is like amazing. You know, he's got that knockout knockout punch like no other. And you know, we are team Deontay. He's family, and he's he's a great guy. 
And like I said, you know, I really don't listen to everything on the media. And thank God we got that phone call from him, you know, so we could actually, we, we, we actually slept really good that night. And we're going to get that belt back. We're going <laughs> to do whatever we can to get that belt back, you know, like that's, that's for sure. And, and now we're preparing for hopefully the trilogy fight with Fury, which is going to be another massive event. And I know you guys said that Deontay called you guys and he wants to work with you again. So can you clue us in on what the next outfit may look like? Have those discussions even happened yet? Um, we, we can't talk about we that can't, right now. We can't talk about that right now. But just you better stay very prepared and tuned into it because it's going to be epic, just like this fight's going to be epic. And safe to say the next outfit will be a little lighter uh, than this one, though. Like I said, got tissue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to I want to thank you guys so much for the time. And just last thing, could you tell people where they can find you if they want to work with you and if they want to see all the great work you're doing? By the way, after the fight, Clarissa Shields came up to us and she's like, oh, my God, could you make me another outfit? Because we made it for yeah, her last yeah. fight. She's friends with Deontay. So we saw her walking out of the fight and I'm like, are you devastated? She goes, you, she goes, devastated. She goes, that outfit was so sick. <laughs> She's like, can you make me one? Uh, and we're like, oh, hell yeah. So she's going to be fighting. We're going to be coming up with something for Clarissa. And then we also got um, Shaquille O'Neal. We made something for him. You know, Deontay gave him our number. So actually, this is all absolutely, like, wonderful for us. It really is. And, um, you know, and we, and we uh, have a lot of gratitude. I want to thank um, Deontay, you know. Yeah, and Tully. And definitely, Kelly. most definitely. Yeah. And you, you can find us at, you know, 7367 Melrose Avenue, Los Angeles, 90046. We have two Instagrams, which is at Cosmos Glam Squad, Cosmos with an S, and at Cosmo and Donato. And you can follow us there and keep in, you know, keep in on the journey of what we're creating. We're going to be showing you as we go along this process. And we have some really cool things lined up, even with Deontay, that um, are pretty amazing. So, yeah. Well, I am definitely looking forward to see what you come up with next. Looking forward to the next Deontay Wilder ring walk. Thank you so much for the time and giving us your perspective of the events. Very much appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That was Cosmo's Glam Squad giving us the inside info on the outfit there that Deontay Wilder wore to the ring against Tyson Fury in the rematch. It sounds like there was a lot more to it. Uh, that didn't actually even end up happening. But still, Wilder claimed the weight of the outfit weighed him down and that caused his legs to not be there uh, and was partially to blame for his performance. We're going to continue to look back at that epic heavyweight fight. And my next conversation is with Eric Paulin. He was the producer for Inside Wilder Fury 2. It was a four-part documentary series following Tyson Fury, following Deontay Wilder for four weeks, giving us access. It aired on Fox and ESPN, and Eric was there on fight night. He was part of the ring walk. So I'm going to talk to Eric Paulin. I am Karan Bhatia. This is Ask the Experts. I am talking to Eric Paulin. He's the senior producer at Five Films. He was the producer for... Inside, well, what was the what was the name of this show, Eric? First of all, let's start there. <laughs> this one was called Inside Wilder Fury Two, and you've been producing these shows for a long time. The follow documentaries, the four part uh, follow these fighters in training camp and their lives. 
when you first heard that this was the fight, it was Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. They're good talkers. They they have good backstories. What were you thinking when uh, the the fight was first announced and you knew that you were going to be putting together some programming for this? Well, we were at the Wilder fight versus Luis Ortiz on uh, November 22nd. And when um, Deontay said that night that that was happening and then all the stories afterwards were all about um, that fight had already been made and the PBC and Top Rank were going to get together and ESPN and Fox were going to cooperate. I got really excited. I mean, you couldn't imagine two characters better suited for a show like we do. Big characters, big personalities, big physically. Um, uh, everything that you could ever ask for in characters you had with, with Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. And you've done a Deontay Wilder show before, like we talked about the Ortiz rematch, but this was the first time that uh, PBC Fox was getting a look behind the curtain at Tyson Fury. So what were the differences? You you know, you're seeing uh, footage come in every day from these guys. Uh, What were the differences in in training camp, in regimen, in in teams around them between Wilder and Fury? What, What were the differences? Well, in terms of the the training camps, you know, early on we established in show one that Tyson was not going to allow us to film in the gym. And he was pretty hardcore with that um, in everything that he did. I mean, we got ESPN did a shoot with him towards the end of camp that they used some of the stuff in in their open for the show, uh, for the fight night. But nobody really got to see what was going on behind the scenes and which obviously was a lot, um, you know, Sugar Hill, uh, analyzed the previous fight for us in I believe show four. And, you know, he said they were making adjustments throughout and everything that, that you heard, you know, everything that you heard that Tyson was doing behind the scenes and everything that Sugar Hill was going to bring in from the Kronk gym. I mean, it really all came to fruition. And, you know, to be honest, I, I, I didn't think it was going to come to fruition. A lot of people felt the same way that I did. I eventually thought that Deontay would, you know, line him up and, and, and get to him. But that, that obviously didn't happen. That was the conventional wisdom. You know, uh, Wilder had been trending in the right direction, uh, knocking out Luis Ortiz in their rematch. Um, Fury looked vulnerable, you could say, against Otto Valin in his last fight. And then he comes out and says he is going to go for the second round knock knockout. And I don't think anyone really believed that because even though he got knocked down twice in the first meeting with Wilder, he danced around, he moved, he boxed beautifully. And we figured that was his path to victory. So even though he was saying that in press conferences, and of course he brought in Sugar Hill Stewart and, and, and um, you know, parted ways with Ben Davison here. Did you have any indication of, um, that that might actually be the game plan. Anything outside of the stuff that he was saying? I know you were saying you couldn't see, uh, they weren't inviting you into training, but was there any indication beyond that, any new techniques or anything that he was doing? No, you know, the first thing we did with both guys was um, uh, short of the fact that we went to Italy with Deontay, which was an amazing trip. Um, he he gave our, our producer, Jeff Newton and Nick Rourke and, Matt Bokel, the team that, that was with him uh, the first time around, 
he let he let us go to Italy with him, which was just amazing. It was amazing footage from, you know, meeting the famous boxer statue to go into the Colosseum to to meeting with the Pope, which was just an incredible, incredible experience for us to to be able to be there with him and and follow him along and, and establish that relationship, which grew throughout um the second episode but in terms of Tyson Fury um what the first thing we shot the first day that we were in the camps was a press conference in Los Angeles and Tyson had been semi you know aggressive and you figured you were going to see some fireworks like you wound up seeing in the last press conference but there was anything but and they were very cordial each other we had both fighters mic which was a, a nice part of the first the end of the first show where they were talking about you know all of a sudden tyson says i'm gonna knock him out in the second round which had come out of left field to me and you know the, the famous uh or the infamous you know deontay saying to tyson that that you you have pillowcases his hands how are you going to do that and if you watched the first fight you would have felt that um but the second fight was anything but from the minute it started. I mean, he charged out at Deontay and was aggressive. And it was obvious that he needed to make this change in the training camp. And and um, there was something missing in that Waleen fight. And it sure as heck wasn't missing when, when that fight started <laughs> last Saturday night in, in Vegas because he was aggressive and and everything just came together. I mean, it was such a, it was a show. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was a clinic. It really was a clinic in, in how to beat Deontay Wilder. And he talked about it and he bragged about it and you felt he was conceited about it. And yet from the minute the fight started, he backed it up. He certainly backed up his prediction. Tyson Fury did. I think uh, no longer is Deontay Wilder going to say you have pillowcases for fists (laughs) because if he does, then Wilder got knocked out and knocked down twice and knocked out by pillowcases. So, um, yeah, I want to talk to you about the fight. But one last question about uh, working with both sides of it here. So now uh, Tyson Fury didn't let you into training the way that other fighters uh, did. Did that make your job more more difficult did you have to kind of work around that was that as a producer who has to create four episodes that follow these guys around was that a challenge well let's be fair in saying that he did each week um uh they did give us a strength and fitness workout which you know uh was very different each time and to say that he worked hard in those strength and and conditioning um uh, uh, workouts would be an understatement. I mean, he lifted weights. He did. I mean, you saw how hard he was working in those, you know, they, they were, they were, I guess what amounted to about 90 minute workouts. And they were, they were hard run by his um, strength and fitness coach, Christian, as he calls him, um, who pushed him and Sugar Hill was there for uh, three of the four of those, I believe, if not the fourth one as well. And uh, so, so we did have those each week, but what we got out of him um, in our other moments with him was his personality. So when we were at, at the residence in Las Vegas with him, um, he, he gave a, we went through a massage with him and then a, a hot and <laughs> a hot and cold um, therapy session very late at night 
where, you know, he went back and forth from the um, pool to the hot tub. And, you know, it, they, they spoke about how it um, helps the blood flow. And everything he did was planned out very, very well. And it was well thought out from, from bringing in his cook, who he had never done that before. And they were eating six meals a day. And um, the diet was thought out. And he was always drinking his water. And even when, in his downtime, I read that he binged um, Game of Thrones for the first time. I mean, we didn't see that, but I read about that. And we were in his house, and the guys would get together, and they would play pool. And, you know, the training camp was very um, tight and intimate, and very, yet very loose. And they seemed to have a lot of fun. And that's what came across with him. Like... First show, he did an interview with the um, L.A. Times, which we which we tagged along for. And as he gets there, the L.A. Times is all set up and he goes, well, I'm doing this in the in the hot tub. And he just jumped in the hot tub and the personality and the promotion constantly came out from him. And um, the same with Deontay. I mean, they were both they're both natural promoters, natural big personalities, literally and figuratively. And, um, and that, I, th I think that came through in our shows and that to me, this was the, in terms of both characters being, you know, top notch promoters, top notch, you know, behind the scenes stuff. This, this was, this was my favorite of the, of the four shows as, and it wasn't, it wasn't easy. I mean, think of all the organizations that had to come together for this to happen between Fox and ESPN and the PBC and top rank. And I think that all four did an amazing job of pushing and promoting this fight. And it was constant. It was everywhere. And everyone was talking about it. And it was, it was such a different feel from any of the, in a good way, from any of the four previous fight camps that we had done. I mean, everywhere you turn that last week, this fight was out there everywhere you turned. And um, it was it was it was a lot of I mean, it was hard work, but it was a lot of fun to work on this one. And and that was my next question for you. Uh, one more before we get into the fight sure. was that this was the first time that this series, whether you call it Fight Camp or Inside, uh, was on not only Fox, but also on ESPN, because we had uh, Fury coming from the top rank ESPN family to to work with PBC and Fox. So how did that change your workflow at all, um, now having the additional uh, network involved? And then also, was that something that you took some pride in? You know, you've done a lot of these shows, but this was the first time that the show was also airing on ESPN in addition to Fox. Um, did, you, did you take pride in that as well? Yeah, I mean, a lot of pride. I mean, all of us did. Um, the top-ranked people from the minute that we first spoke to them uh, – from Brad Jacobs and Evan, Evan Korn and, and then, you know, Tim Alcock in, in Tyson's camp and, and, and Mel, Mel, I, I, I can't pronounce her last name, but Mel, who does the PR, um, who did the PR from Tyson's camp, Melissa, they were wonderful. I mean, they, they couldn't have done anything more for us and made it, they made it easy and it was seamless. It was just like we were doing the show the regular fight camp shows there was nothing really any different um and it was great because uh i think the last week espn ran all four shows from eight to ten o'clock on sunday night 
Um, they ran them uh, all parts one, two, three, and four from eight to eight thirty, eight thirty to nine, nine to nine thirty, and nine thirty to ten o'clock. And you know, to get that Sunday night on ESPN in prime time was amazing. You know, plus the plus the, the the great times that Fox had. So it was on all over the place. As a matter of fact, when I walked into the weigh-in on, um, I walked in very early on Friday afternoon. It was playing in the arena, and it looked great, and it sounded great. And I was—I welled up with pride. I called the guys in the office. I was texting everybody. I go, the show's on. The show's on in the arena, and everybody's watching it. I mean, it was, it was, it was great because it was airing everywhere. Also, all four um, outlets, Fox and the PBC and Top Rank and, and ESPN, were airing clips everywhere on social media. So it was everywhere, and it was like – it was fun and exciting, and yeah, we all took a, a lot of pride in that. Absolutely. I, next door to you, produced the Countdown Show, which also got to air on Fox and ESPN. That was great. And some of the people you mentioned, Brad Jacobs, Evan Korn, I've worked with those people for a long time. Really great people to have involved to help bring these big events to life. So you went to Las Vegas. You were there. So what was the feeling like, the buzz in Las Vegas? Did it have that big fight feel? And then where were you, uh, you know, before the fight? Were you in the locker rooms? Were you in the now infamous ring walks? Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience in Las Vegas. Um, I got there. I got there Thursday afternoon. Uh, I went down late on Thursday night to the media room just to kind of get a feel. And I walked through. Um, I walked through the media room. I walked through the MGM, but you could feel that this one was special. It was on the building. It was, the signs were everywhere and you could feel it. And then Friday morning, I got there very early for the weigh-in. Um, I picked up my credential and just kind of walked around. We didn't, we didn't have anything to do. I met some people and said hello, but there was just something there. There was really just something in the arena. There was a feeling when, when Tyson came in, you could feel it with his entourage. When Deontay came in with his entourage, you could feel it. Um, I just happened to be um, about four feet away from Deontay as they walked through the arena. Um, it was crazy. It was nuts. Uh, a lot of British fans were out there on Friday. Um, <laughs> a lot of booze for Deontay, which he played up very well. Um, I happened to catch their entourage on the way out on uh, – on uh, Friday, and he saw Tommy Hearns. That was a pretty cool moment that, that nobody captured on camera. It was just neat. He and Tommy Hearns said hi to each other. And, and the respect that you see for, you know, the guys that did it before uh, was kind of amazing. That stuff was amazing. In terms of fight, fight day, I got there early on Saturday morning. We did a walkthrough. We wanted to make sure all our camera positions were all set, et cetera, et cetera. And then I stayed there for a while and just kind of walked around and soaked in and spoke to Leonard Ellerby and uh, I spoke to Ray Flores early on in the day and everybody had that same feeling and there was just an electricity in the building that built and built and built and um, I left and came back and when we came back we were we were in Deontay's locker room for a little while not as much as we were the last time there was it was much different with Fox and ESPN and there were many more camera crews um, for the entries and as they walked in and 
Um, it was, it was, it was much bigger than the Ortiz fight. It just was, you know, it was there, there were Fox cameras and ESPN cameras and ESPN digital cameras and PBC cameras and top rank cameras. And, you know, I think that there were seven cameras outside when Tyson came in. And I think that there were two the last time when Deontay and, and Luis two or three when they walked in the last time. And, um, we did not get into Tyson's locker room beforehand. Um, I think Fox was in there. I believe ESPN was in there. We were in Deontay's locker room. We only had one camera, um, but it was cool. It was it was it was very cool back there. Um, there was a lot of buzz um, as the other fights were heading down to the wire. Um, there were rumors of this costume that Deontay was going to wear and how cool it was and. You had seen the throne. Uh, we'd seen the throne on Friday. So we knew about the throne and him coming in on the throne and how cool that was. And I was in front of everything with my cameraman, Nick Rourke, who was filming everything. And that was like the, the ring walks were incredible. They were like on a different level. Uh, the security who did a really good job of making sure that nobody got ran, run over. They kind of linked arms and you know, kept everyone at bay, but enough that we could get our shots. And I got kind of pushed down a ringside both times. So I witnessed it right from ringside. Um, and they were incredible. I mean, they were both incredible and both. So, uh, I mean, Tyson's was so Tyson. Deontay's was so Deontay, you know, the, the comparison and contrast of, of, of two huge entrances, which were just perfectly suited for each fighter. Um, and it was amazing. And then I went and watched the fight like everybody else. I, I went up, uh, I was up high and um, <laughs> I was startled. I really was startled, <laughs> but impressed. I mean, thoroughly impressed by Tyson Fury. And I had never been <laughs> that impressed before. And yeah, no, the, the ring walks were absolutely epic. I spoke to the costume designers of Deontay Wilder, and they said that actually there was supposed to be even more to that. There was supposed to be the lights were supposed to go out and there was supposed to be lasers from his costume up to the ceiling. Um, so there was even more there, but it was still epic the way it was. Put you on the spot real quick before we talk about the fight itself. Who had the better, more epic ring walk? It, it's hard to say because they were just so... They really were so perfect, both of them. And um, I, I was as close as I could be until I just got, basically, I had to run down to the ring or I was going to get run over. So I, I, when Tyson, like, got to the ring singing crazy, it was just like, and he was singing along with Patsy Cline. And it was, just, <laughs> it was so Tyson. And he looked relaxed and, like, he was having fun. And then Deontay, you know, who... Each time the costume outdoes the last costume. I thought the last costume was epic. So the fight starts, and we have seen Deontay Wilder undefeated. We've seen him hurt a few times uh, against Luis Ortiz in their first meeting. Um, we saw Fury kind of dance around him for a long period of the fight, not necessarily hurt him in their first match. Um, but we see something that we haven't seen. We see Deontay Wilder knocked down. We see... Yeah. Fury is aggressive. He's using the weight. He came in at 273 pounds, which was higher than he's come in before, at least in the, the first meeting. Um, 
what were you what were you thinking? Was your jaw, you know, on the floor that we're seeing yeah. Deontay Wilder yeah. hurt? Yeah, my jaw was on the floor. Um and he knocked him down hard. I mean, he didn't just I mean, he knocked him down and it was like, oh my God, you know, and it's the third round. And like <laughs> you go you, you just I looked around and I, I, I said, What's going on? And he got right back up. I mean, he did get right back up and he was and he was okay. But there was, you know, his 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 balance was off and um you're in that arena and it was a I think it was a fury I think it was there were more fury fans in there um it was it was so exciting it was hard to tell but I mean you were you were either you were stunned either way you were I think Tyson was kind of stunned because if you look at him you you see like he didn't even know a corner to go to and he kind of had to recompose himself and catch and and, and go off into the corner that that uh, that the ref told him to go into, and then and it, and it was it was really like all downhill from there for him. I mean, it was just a, a, a dominant performance, and it it certainly was for Tyson Fury. I think he shocked a lot of people, myself included. I I thought Deontay Wilder was going to win by knockout. I didn't think it was going to be easy because I knew Fury was motivated, but I did not expect to see that, and I don't think many people did. So. The fight, the seventh round, uh, Fury has Wilder up against the corner. The towel comes in from Mark Breland, who's the co-trainer with JDs. Um, since that has happened, Wilder has come out and said he doesn't agree with the towel. He feels like he'd rather uh, die in the ring, he said, which is interesting wording because of all the tragedies we've had in the sport recently. Um, I'm just curious, you know, you watching these guys in training camp, I mean, what was the relationship like with Wilder and Mark Breland in training camp? What was the dynamic? Because they have, like we said, co-trainers with JDs. Um, that's an interesting dynamic. Usually there's one head trainer, one guy in charge. And uh, it makes it all that much more interesting because JDs came out after in the post-fight press conference and said he wouldn't have thrown the towel. So uh, just tell me a little bit about what you knew about the relationship between Deontay, Mark Breland, and JDs. Uh, nothing different than the last time. I mean, we didn't see anything different. You know, uh, the one scene we did that Mark was included in was a scene that, um, in the last show where, where Deontay hits so hard that they have to keep changing the, the mitt guys. Um, he literally has three guys to hit mitts, one of whom is Mark Breland. So there, there was not, we saw nothing different in camp, you know, and there was no reason to think anything anything different about their relationship um i when the towel came in i was too far away to know who to know who throw it who threw it um and i i can tell you that that uh mark was in the hallway after the fight and was just i mean he was upset i mean he was really upset and it was i'm sure it was very hard for him but you know he thought he was protecting his fighter a lot of people agreed with him and um, we'll see what happens there. But there was no indication, um, no indication of anything different than the last training camp, you know. That... No, I, th I think most people think that Mark Breland did the right thing there. Uh, Deontay Wilder is not one of those people necessarily, though, and that might be what matters. Um, if you I'm just going to ask you for just to speculate here a little bit. Do you think Mark Breland will be around for the next training camp, um, if, if you had to guess? 
I don't know. Um, when Deontay came out and spoke on Monday um, and, and spoke to a bunch of boxing writers and the stories started to come out on Monday and everything started to buzz, um, I thought we'd get a little more clarity there on Monday. So I, I think that they'll get together and I'm sure that they'll talk about it. And um, Mark has been very good to us in the two training camps. Uh, not that that matters for you know, what Deontay thinks, but, um, you know, I, I hope that they can work things out. I do. Um, you know, speculating. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I really don't. And it's, it's always interesting to see how a fighter deals with his first loss, right? An undefeated fighter like Deontay Wilder, who he, it feels like he almost took pride in, in, you know, the being undefeated, being the champion. That was part of his persona, part of his identity, um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how he does that moving forward. But right after the fight, uh, he did make some excuses in a way. He gave Fury credit, but he also made some excuses. Um, he said since he felt like the first knockdown, he was being hit hit behind the head. He didn't feel like Kenny Bayless was doing a good job, the referee, um, who I spoke to recently on my podcast. And uh, I, the other excuse was, of course, he said the suit weighed him down. Um, but, but after the fight, he specifically said my, you know, my legs coming into the fight. So what I thought he was saying was, oh, something happened in training camp. And that's why when he first said that my first text or call was going to be to you to say, Hey, did anything happen in training camp? So just, just to clear that up, was there anything you noticed at all in training camp? No, not at all. Okay. I mean, not at all. He trained just as hard. Um, no, no, I mean, absolutely not. We had two pieces in the gym in the last show um um one about his power and the mitts and and everything was this everything was the same i mean so absolutely not we didn't we didn't see any of that no injuries no anything it was training camp as usual i mean i spoke to jeff newton who was down there every single day our field producer every single day i spoke to him and there was none of that um it was a great training camp as far as, as, as we could tell. And again, they couldn't have been better with us. They couldn't have been better with us, you know, from the access they gave us to, you know, just, just letting us <laughs> be a part of everything. They, they couldn't have been nicer from, and I'm talking, you know, from, from Deontay on down to Shelly Finkel and Joey and cuz and Chris and everybody. So, um, and Mark and, and Jay. So, um, they, they couldn't have been better to us. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't see any, I didn't see any injuries coming in and, and I don't think anybody else did either. And it's, it's easy to say hindsight is twenty twenty, but now that this happened, you know, Wilder's going to be looking maybe to make changes. Is there anything that, you know, for example, this may have not have helped at all, but Tyson Fury said he, he eliminated diet Cokes. He used to drink like a case of diet Cokes per week or something like that. Um, is there anything in terms of Wilder's diet, in terms of his, his workouts, anything that you would say, um, this maybe isn't helpful and maybe he should make changes going forward? No, I don't think so. Um, he was lighter in the first fight. Um, I don't know if that mattered, but, um, but Tyson was heavier too. So, and that, that weighed down and, 
And who would have thought that Tyson at 273 would be as nimble as he was? You know, you right. I mean, he was dancing around that ring and and he was moving and, and just like he did it, it, it. I don't remember what he came in at the first fight, but in the 250s, um, he. He 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 looked he he carried the weight great, and I think it was just an off night for Deontay. I really do. I think um, you know, could he have gotten that one punch at some point? Maybe you know, and 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 would things have turned around? Maybe, um, but it didn't. It didn't look like that to me. I mean, he just looked off. He just looked off from the minute the fight started, and it just seemed to be Tyson's night. And he was really impressive. And I just, I didn't see it coming in. I didn't. And I wasn't, I wasn't, a lot of people felt like, like I did, that Deontay would, would pick out the things in the rematch and, and find that moment and line them up like he did with Ortiz and like he did with Stavern and, you know, and, and, and he would just take them out and you figured it would come middle rounds, late rounds, but you figured it would come. And even, even after he got knocked down, you thought, all right, you know, Deontay got knocked down. Wow. But he'll come back and, and, and he'll get him. And it never came to fruition. I mean, the third round, the fifth round was mastery. I mean, the, 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 the knockdown with the left hook, I mean, to, to the body. I mean, he was, Tyson was really incredible. He was just incredible that night. And all, all hats off to him because he did everything that he said he was going to do. Tyson Fury had the better game plan in this one. Uh, in the first fight, Fury weighed in at 256.5 pounds. In this fight, 273. Uh, in the first fight, uh, Wilder was 212.5. And, and in this fight, he was 231. So both guys bulked up, but yeah. obviously that was advantage yeah. Fury. So, and, looking and even at, at oh, the sorry, 273, Curran, I mean, you know, these guys go and eat after the way, and I'm sure he must have come in even heavier. Oh, I yeah. don't know what the I don't know if they weighed. We don't know what the Saturday rehydration morning. weight was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was probably in the two eighties, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, fighters you know? can can certainly right. gain a lot of weight after um, after right. weigh-ins. Maybe less when they're heavyweights because they're not necessarily dieting in the same way because they don't have to make weight, but still they probably rehydrate and gain weight. So um, let me let me ask you this to kind of close it out. We know that Wilder has the opportunity to exercise the immediate rematch clause. It sounds, by all indications, that he will. Um, do you think that that is a good idea for Deontay Wilder to exercise that immediate rematch clause? And if the rematch does happen next, uh, the trilogy fight, now that you know what Tyson Fury is capable of, what would be your pick for that that third fight? Well. Number one, I never count Deontay out. I, I think that he has to exercise the rematch clause. I think that's his in I think it's in his DNA. I think he's been the champion for five years. And I think you know, I thought that immediately. I thought immediately that he would exercise his, his rematch clause. I didn't know how long it would take him to, you know, come out and speak to the media and, 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 and do that, but he did that, you know, forty eight hours after the fight, after things had settled at least a little bit and said that he would exercise his rematch clause. Shelly Finkel said um, in the post-fight press conference that he, he thought Deontay would exercise his rematch clause. I think when you're a fighting champion, you need to be a fighting champion. And he had the, he got the loss last Saturday night and he's going to come back and it's Deontay Wilder. Who's been the champ for five years 
who, you know, is one punch away from redemption and, um, you know, getting the victory to even out the score, so to speak, with Tyson Fury. Um, if I had to pick what I, 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 I guess I'd pick Fury, but I'm a huge Deontay fan and um, I would never count him out. I think Tyson just has, you know, styles make fights. And I think the style of Tyson is very difficult for Deontay to deal with. But still, there's always that right hand, that magical right hand that we've seen, you know, 40 some odd times before um, that can, you know, end things very quickly. And who knows if if Tyson gets a little cocky and Deontay works a little bit harder and things turn around. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Deontay came back and, and beat him. And then we could do this a fourth time. <laughs> Seems like they could. this could be a best of five, best of seven, and I think we'd all be... Yeah to be very interested so they, and everybody be happy absolutely so thank you so much for breaking it down so final word about uh this whole experience working with these two charismatic giants the event itself what would what would be your your final comment about about this whole process it was really magical and like you know i had um the last time i saw deontay and i said this to you on the podcast like i it was like a superhero was walking through the hallways and um to see Tyson um, in person for the first time, uh, you know, you hear six foot nine and you think six foot nine and then you see six foot nine and it is like, oh, my God. Like when he got out of the car on Saturday night, um, he was I mean, I just couldn't imagine. He was just so tall. He was like it was like looking at an NBA player and. You know, it was it reminded me of the time when I first met Bobby Knight in, in 1992. I interviewed him. I was a 24, 25 year old kid and he walked into the room and he was six foot five. And you just didn't think of it. You didn't think of him like that. And when you saw Tyson Fury in his in his six foot nine and you're just, oh, my God. And Deontay at six foot seven. But this one, what I'll take from this is the magic of. You know, being involved in, in such a such a huge event. I mean, it was something that everyone was talking about. It reminded me of being a kid again, you know, when 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 Tyson when Mike Tyson was at his finest and everybody would talk about him when his fights came on and even into the into the Lennox Lewis and the Holyfield years and Holyfield Bow and the magic of that trilogy and um and when Lennox fought Evander both times, but it was just to be so involved this time. It was like, it was, it was magical. It was really magical. I mean, my friends were talking about it. My colleagues were talking about it and everyone was talking about it. And it was just, it was really cool to be a part of it on some level. It's funny in basketball, they say you can't teach height. Uh, I think that's the same thing. Here you can't teach size, and Fury now is using his size in a different way than we've seen before, and that makes him dangerous. And then, of course, like you said, Wilder with the right hand. I mean, he's knocked down or knocked out every single opponent that he's ever faced, so he's going to be always be dangerous with the right hand. It makes for a fascinating, hopefully, trilogy fight, hopefully another series of inside fight camp or countdown. Um, Eric Pollan, I want to thank you so much for the time. Thanks for breaking it down, telling us about your experience, and hopefully... Uh, We'll be chatting again in a couple months, maybe after the third fight. My pleasure, Kurt. Thanks so much, man.
And that will bring us to the end here. I want to thank all of my guests, Adam Kovnoski, Cosmo Lambino and Donato Crowley of Cosmo's Glam Squad, and Eric Paulin. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Thank you everyone who listened. If you want to follow us, uh, you can follow at A-T-E underscore podcast. That's on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow my personal channels, it's at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Karen Batia at on Instagram and Twitter. Please subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com backslash Karen Batia. Uh, please check out uh, our show on iTunes. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. If you want to email the show, it's askthexpertspod at gmail.com. Thank you so much. One more time. Enjoy the boxing uh, this weekend, and I will be back soon with another episode. This is Karen Batia signing off for Ask the Experts. Thank you for listening to Ask the Experts with Karen Batia.